well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad that you've joined the program today. Coming up, we're going to take a look at a uh, story from The Trace. You know, uh, Michael Bloomberg's anti-gun news site? Yeah. Uh, They have a very interesting story out of Chicago, Illinois today. The problem, they write, with Chicago's gang-centric narrative of gun violence. That's right. Apparently it is uh, incorrect, according to The Trace, uh, to say that Chicago has a gang problem. Yeah, and uh, they're taking uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot to task because Mayor Lightfoot has talked about uh, getting rid of the scourge of gang violence, and you're not supposed to do that now. No, no, no. We have to be a little bit more touchy-feely uh, when it comes to violent crime in uh, cities like Chicago. Uh, as the uh, Trace report, since the mid-2010s, the Chicago Police Department has attributed a steadily decreasing share of shootings to gangs, the Trace found. Last year, the Chicago Police Department designated 43% of fatal shootings as gang-related, down from 70% five years earlier. Over the same time period, the share of non-fatal shootings officially linked to gangs fell from 34% to just 7%. It's unclear. They say what accounts for this decline. A few possibilities, though, might explain it. Gang-related shootings are actually decreasing. Detectives are unable to connect shootings to gangs because of their more fluid nature, or simply the information that the police are able to gather is too limited. Now, it, it, it could be that we're actually seeing fewer gang-related shootings in Chicago, although I highly doubt that the number of non-fatal shootings that are gang-related has declined to 7%. Uh, I think actually what's going on here, or maybe one of the primary factors in what's going on here, is the last thing that the Trace mentioned. Uh, the information that the police are able to gather is too limited. We're going to get into this because that, that talks about the, uh, the clearance rate in the city of Chicago, which is, frankly, absolutely abysmal in terms of making arrests. Now, if you can't make an arrest, odds are that the information that you have uh, regarding a shooting is so limited that you might not be able to determine whether or not it was gang-related, domestic-related, somebody was beefing with one another. Uh, but given that this is the trace, of course, funded by Michael Bloomberg, you know where they see the problem, right? It's not gang violence. No, no. Problem is guns. Yeah. Veteran researcher Rosanna Ander, the uh, founding executive director of the University of Chicago's Crime Lab, a research center that often analyzes Chicago police data. She says she isn't surprised that the Chicago Police Department has only tied a small number of shootings to gangs. Ander says focusing on gangs distracts from the sheer number of guns available in the city. She said, quote, I think we would eradicate gun violence long before we could eradicate young people joining gangs or cliques or crews. Well, OK, so let, let, let's delve into that for just a second, shall we? We have a right to associate with folks in this country, just as we have the right to keep and bear arms. So you can't simply say, hey, listen, you and your buddies can hang around together because uh, we think you might be up to no good. That, that would be wrong. However, what we can do is to tell primarily young offenders, because that's that's generally what we're talking about here, 18 to 34-year-olds. We can tell those individuals, regardless of whether or not they're in a gang, listen, if you commit an act of violence, we're going to come after you. We're going to arrest you. We're going to prosecute you. We're not going to give you a plea bargain. We're not going to give you a slap on the wrist. 
we're going to take your case to trial. We're going to put you behind bars for as long as we possibly can. And when that is done, I'm not saying when that promise is made, but when that promise is actually acted on, we do see violent crime or drop, uh, regardless, by the way, of what gun sales are doing, right? Gun sales can be going up. Violent crime can still go down. As long as we're doing these smart things that allow for arrests and prosecutions to be made. Now, when it comes to uh, uh, the uh, the founder of the Chicago Crime Lab, said, "Well, you know, I, I would think that we could get rid of uh, gun violence easier than we could get rid of uh, individuals. Who's committing the violent crime? It's not a gun, right? It's an individual. It's not an inanimate object. We live in a nation where we have the right to keep and bear arms." We live in a nation with 100 million legal gun owners. We live in a nation with 400 million privately owned firearms. So, no, I would argue that you're not going to be able to get rid of the guns uh, easier than you could uh, convince gang members or clique members or uh, crew members, however you want to define them, to stop committing acts of violence. That's a much easier job than to try to ban our way to safety through gun control. Because I don't think you're ever going to get to a point where you can uh, guarantee that no bad guy is going to get a hold of a gun. You just can't. I don't think you can ever get to a point where you can guarantee that no good guy is going to get a hold of a gun either, for that matter. But we're talking about individuals who would misuse firearms in the commission of a crime. You're never going to be able to ban your way to safety. I mean, look at uh, Brazil, for instance. Really restrictive gun control laws and a homicide rate that is roughly five or six times higher than that of the United States. Look at Mexico. Really restrictive gun control laws. One gun store in the entire country and a homicide rate that is far higher than the United States. So you can put these gun control laws in place, but criminals aren't going to obey them. I think it is a much more realistic proposition to say, look, we know that there's a relatively small number of hardcore offenders who are driving the violence in Chicago and in any other American city, by the way. And the best way to reduce violent crime is to focus on them. Focus on those prolific offenders. Interrupt their ability to prolifically commit violent crimes. And you will see shootings and homicides decrease dramatically. It doesn't take more arrests. It doesn't take more gun control laws. It's a matter of arresting the right people, the people who are actually committing acts of violence. And you can define them again as gang members or crew members or however you want to define them. But if you don't focus on them, then you're not doing the work that needs to be done to successfully improve public safety in communities across uh, the country. Now, when it comes specifically to Chicago, uh, the uh, Trace talked to uh, one Chicago police officer who asked not to be named out of concern for professional backlash. And he said uh, he believes that the uh, data undercounts the role that gangs play in the city's violence. He says, quote, I don't think the data accurately reflects the truth of what the situation is by far. If we don't get that cooperation from victims, we really can't put that information in the system like that. Surviving victims, the level of cooperation we get from them is usually minimum to nothing. It's very frustrating. Now, why would that be? Well, I would argue 
it's because generally, if you are beefing with somebody, either let, let's say it's an either it's an interpersonal thing, somebody tried to steal your girl, you're mad, somebody insulted your mama, you're mad, or it is a more formal uh, act of uh, retaliation, right? This gang is uh, stepping into our territory. We want to send a message. In 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 both of those circumstances, there is a sort of a code of the streets where you don't cooperate with law enforcement. You don't bring your problems to police. You solve your problems yourself, right? Which is why police are not seeing the type of cooperation with most victims that they would like to see, because most of the victims in these cases are also, in many circumstances, perpetrators of violent crime. This is a vicious cycle. And one of the challenges that law enforcement faces is interrupting that cycle of violence. You don't do that, by the way, by passing universal background checks. You don't do that by uh, requiring every gun owner in Illinois to have a firearm owner identification card or else they go to prison. That's not how you do it. Again, that's casting a wide net over everybody exercising a constitutionally protected right in the hopes that you're going to snare a criminal or two, as opposed to actually focusing specifically on those criminals to begin with. Now, this uh, Chicago police officer also said that the changing dynamics of gangs make it difficult to capture the underlying cause of a shooting. He says it's gotten so convoluted. How do you accurately report it? He said the decline is not surprising to me. This is gang related. It's gangs, but it's taken a different form. Well, I, I think that the officer is correct. But I also have to say, I think that there's another issue that isn't really being talked about, and that is the clearance rate. If if police are not able to make an arrest, it's highly unlikely that they are going to be able to uh, determine with certainty whether or not a shooting was gang-related or, again, some other problem that led to that shooting. And the clearance rate in Chicago for non-fatal shootings, 5%. Not 50%. 5%. One in every 20 non-fatal shootings leads to an arrest in Chicago. That, I mean, that's horrific. I, there, I, I don't really know another word for it. That's absolutely horrific. The uh, homicide clearance rate, by the way, below 50%, which means that the average criminal in Chicago who decides to pull the trigger has a better than average chance of getting away with murder. And if the uh, victim doesn't die, they're almost guaranteed of getting away with their crime. And again, part of that is because their victim may not talk to law enforcement. Part of it is because eyewitnesses are afraid to testify. Why are they afraid to testify? Because they've seen the criminal justice system. They know what happens. Somebody gets arrested, charged with a violent crime. They go to Cook County Court and they are released on no bond or very low bond. And they're quickly back in the neighborhood where in many cases they go on to commit other crimes. If you lived in one of these neighborhoods and you had information that might be able to lead to the arrest, possibly the conviction of somebody, would you talk to the police, knowing that there's a better than average chance that if that individual is arrested, they're going to quickly be back out on the streets, they're, even if they're not, even if they're held on high bond, their associates are going to be out on the street. And may very well be looking to shut you up. I, I would be concerned, honestly. 
And that's a real problem for the Chicago police. Not only do they have to deal again with criminals who don't want to involve the law uh, after they've been shot, but they also have to try to convince good people in bad neighborhoods to come forward, that they'll protect them, they'll ensure their safety. And that the city's not doing that. So I don't know where exactly the trace is going with this other than Oh, no, it's, 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 it's foolish to focus on uh, gangs. The problem is guns. We need more gun control. I don't think we do. I don't think it's going to work. Chicago's got plenty of gun laws on the books, as do places like, uh, you know, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York City, places where the homicide rates are all soaring right now. It's not a matter of trying to ban and arrest our way to safety. We've tried that. doesn't work. Instead, we need to be we need to be smart on crime. It's not to me. It's not even a matter of being soft or tough on crime. It's being smart on crime. We've got a limited amount of prosecutors. We've got a limited amount of prison space. We've got a limited amount of police officers on the street. So, what are our priorities going to be? To me, the priority needs to be tackling violent crime. Do I care if somebody is carrying a gun on the street without a license? Not as much as I care about somebody shooting somebody on that same street. And frankly, when it comes to nonviolent possessory offenses, I'd much prefer figuring out a way, and it's really not that difficult, uh, to remove the taboo nature of gun ownership in these Democrat-controlled cities. To embrace a culture of responsible gun ownership. You don't want people carrying a gun illegally? Fine. Give them a way to do so legally. You don't want people with no respect for firearms walking around with guns? Okay. Teach them to have respect for firearms. There are no gun ranges in Chicago. There are no gun ranges in Washington, D.C. I think there's, uh, what, two in all of New York City? Private ranges, not open to the general public. For decades now, these Democrat-controlled cities have had the attitude of gun ownership is bad. You shouldn't own a gun. Just don't own a gun. Put the guns down. We need to get the guns off the street, right? That's their attitude. It hasn't worked. So I would argue in addition to focusing on violent criminals, we do need to scrap the attitude that is so entrenched in so many of these Democrat cities and instead replace it with a... not only a much more constitutionally sound philosophy, but I would argue a more pragmatic philosophy. One that says people are going to own firearms. We want them to do so safely and responsibly. And in order for them to do that, we need to give them the opportunity to learn how to be safe and responsible gun owners. I would start at a very early age. I would encourage programs like JROTC, the 4-H shooting sports programs. Even in urban areas, I would bring in 4-H whenever possible. And yes, I would establish shall as you concealed carry. Yes, I would open up gun ranges. Yes, I would open up gun stores. Yes, I would do all of those things necessary to inculcate a culture of responsible gun ownership. That hasn't been done in Chicago. And uh, frankly, I don't think you'll see a call for that from the trace anytime soon either. All right, let's move on to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We're going to start there. Story out of Durham, North Carolina. He shot a Durham police dog in the face while running away. Here's his punishment. Punishment, 18 months probation. That's his punishment. 
Uh, he, in this case, trade Deshaun Christie, who pleaded guilty to four charges, assaulting a law enforcement animal, resisting, delaying, and obstructing a public officer, breaking and entering, and larceny after breaking and entering. And in a plea deal with the Durham County Superior Court, Mr. Christie was sentenced to 18 months of supervised probation. Yeah. Now, the reason why prosecutors gave him this sweetheart deal is because Mr. Christie is also facing federal drug and gun charges. And so the thinking, I am sure, by prosecutors is, okay, feds are going to be able to put him away for a longer period of time than we are. Uh, we'll give him this plea bargain. We'll give him probation. If uh, the, uh, the federal case goes through, well, then uh, we might be able to activate his 18-month sentence, although it's really not going to matter because he's going to be serving his federal sentence. If the federal case falls apart, well, at least we've got him on probation for a year and a half, so if he screws up, we can uh, uh, reinstitute that sentence. We can send him to prison for 17 months. That's the thinking. And not everybody's buying it. According to the uh, Herald Sun newspaper, Corporal Roger Lafferty, who works with uh, uh, the uh, canine who was a shot, a uh, Belgian Malinois named Darrow, said he wishes that Chrissy had received a harsher sentence. He said, I had hoped for the maximum. He said, but uh, I think it's sufficient. Really? Do you really? Or are you saying that because it's kind of what you're expecting to say? Uh, this all happened back in March, by the way. The sentencing happened this week, but um, the actual crime happened March 29th when uh, Christie uh, was sought on charges that included breaking and entering along with a larceny of a bike worth more than $2,000. When officers found Christie and tried to detain and question him, uh, they discovered that he had a gun on him. So then he took off running, ran into some trees and uh, brush. The uh, canine Darrow was sent to track Christie. That's when uh, Christie shot the dog. The dog, thankfully, has recovered. Originally, Christie was charged with assault on a law enforcement animal, inflicting serious injury, carrying a concealed weapon, resisting, delaying, and obstructing a government official, discharging a firearm within the city limits, breaking and entering, larceny after breaking and entering, felony conspiracy to commit breaking and entering, as well as two counts of obtaining property by false pretense. Again, the vast majority of those charges dropped in exchange for the plea deal and the 18-month probationary sentence there in uh, Durham, North Carolina. Today's armed citizen story from past Christian, Mississippi, where a uh, neighbor able to hold a uh, would-be burglar at gunpoint. This happened uh, just days before Hurricane Ida roared ashore there. Uh, deputies uh, had been called out uh, to the scene of a, a vehicle burglary. And according to the uh, sheriff of Harrison County, uh, Troy Peterson, a neighbor saw the suspect breaking into the vehicle uh, and uh, held him at gunpoint until deputies arrived. Deputies uh, able to take 30-year-old Christopher Michael Nilgis into custody. By the way, I've, I, I've never seen this. Christopher, in this case, is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-E-R-F-E-R. -E -E Christopher. I've never seen that spelling before. Whatever. Christopher uh, Michael Nilgis has now been charged with two felony counts of burglary of a motor vehicle. The uh, homeowner who held Christopher Michael Nilgis at uh, gunpoint not facing any charges, uh, and was able to, uh, again, open sure that perhaps Mr. Nilgis will uh, face some consequences for trying to burgle that vehicle. Finally today, our uh, good deed of the day from the uh, tri-state area of Washington. Kennewick police officer rescues a woman and her kitten from smoke inhalation. Very important we see the cat there. And there is the uh, the kitten in question, I guess, the, the woman. They didn't take her picture. Uh, but 
A, a quick-witted police officer, according to the uh, uh, Yak Tri News, sprung into action to rescue a woman and her small kitten from a dangerous fire that filled her home with heavy smoke on Monday. Officers responded uh, yesterday for reports of a vulnerable adult in need of emergency services. When they got there on the scene, they observed opaque plumes of smoke stemming from inside the house. They rushed inside, located the victim, who was suffering from uh, symptoms of smoke inhalation, and they were able to get her out of the residence. And then as the uh, officer was bringing her out of the building, officer also smotted a uh, small kitten there uh, amidst the smoke, and uh, Officer Sagan grabbed the kitten, brought it to safety, away from the uh, smoke emerging from the home. Crews from the uh, Kennewick Fire Department arrived uh, shortly thereafterwards. They uh, were able to uh, put out the fire uh, shortly after they uh, arrived. Also, uh, medics rendering aid uh, to the victim for smoke inhalation. She was uh, transported to a, a local hospital to be uh, medically evaluated. Uh, the uh, kitten also taken in for uh, treatment and care while the owner recovers from this incident. Uh, by the way, a, a fire department investigation reveals that the home did not have any working smoke alarms. So uh, perhaps use this as a reminder to uh, check the batteries in your smoke alarm. Uh, if it has not stopped, you know, if, if it does a little beep, 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 and then you uh, don't change the battery. Sometimes people just actually take the battery out rather than replacing the battery. I don't recommend you do that. It's always good to have that, uh, that, that peace of mind that knows that, okay, if your house does burst into flames, you'll at least be aware of it. So in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, we thank the uh, officers there. In uh, Kennewick, Washington, for uh, saving the day for that uh, woman, as well as her little kitten. And that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I appreciate you being a part of the program. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all around the country. In the meantime, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day for even more Second Amendment news and information, including, uh, let's see, the veto of a Jim Crow era. Actually, no, the veto of a bill that would have gotten rid of a Jim Crow era gun law in North Carolina. Yeah, progressive Democrat putting that uh, Jim Crow era gun law in place 100 years ago and another progressive Democrat keeping the law in place this week. We've got that story and much more at Bearing Arms. Uh, don't forget, you can also become a VIP subscriber to Bearing Arms. Just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Easy enough. Use the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your membership. And we certainly do appreciate your support. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe. And be free.